Good morning. Um, while I have a chance, I do want to say that Kip's fingerprints are all over these trees. Thank you so much, Kip, for making this vision a reality. I'm excited to be with you all today. Something about me is that I love calendars. If you've been in my office or my home, you will see them everywhere. I know that it would be much more efficient to have a Google calendar so I don't have to keep up with all these different calendars in different places, but there's just something about writing things down that I really enjoy. And if your December calendar is anything like mine, it is filling up very quickly. And that's just me, myself, and I in our events, but you that have multiple people with multiple calendars and work parties and all of that, it is a very crazy season. Most wonderful time of the year, but very busy. And that's why I really appreciate that our church over the last few years has started to incorporate the practices of Advent into our worship experiences so that we can keep our eyes on the things that we should really be celebrating and the gifts that we're really here to receive. Some of you might be really familiar with Advent or others, maybe your only familiarity is the Advent calendars that they sell in stores. There are so many different types from Legos to candles to tea to cheese. Found out about a cheese one the other day. Now I want to get that. Uh, my grandma made me an advent calendar when I was a kid, and here's a picture of it. And in each pocket, she would put little pieces of candy, and then in the bottom pocket, she would buy us an ornament that reflected a really special memory or milestone from the past year. Now I have all of these ornaments on my tree at home, and I still put up this calendar because of all the memories that it holds for me. It brings back memories from the past when I was a child and all those sweet Christmases with my family. It makes me think of the present and how each day is a gift of candy or other things that God has in store for us in the present. And it also makes me look towards the future because my grandma has passed away and is no longer here anymore. But when I look at that calendar, I think about that reunion someday and getting to celebrate with her and sharing all the memories of Christmases in the past. Advent has a similar way of making us look back to the past while also looking towards the future, and it does affect how we live our present day-to-day -day lives. As was mentioned just a minute ago, the word Adventus is the Latin word that we get Advent from, and it means arrival. And in this season of anticipation and preparation in our homes, we're also preparing ourselves to reflect on the arrival of Christ in the past in the form of a baby, but we're also anticipating that arrival in the future of his second coming, and we're kind of in that in-between time, and we need him here right now in our present as well. In my adulthood, I've come to appreciate Advent as more than the little treats each day, even though those are really fun, um, because I love using this wreath that I've used for years, a similar one, to teach kids of all ages the Christmas story. This is a picture from my days of being a YouTuber in 2020, and I would film myself telling the kids the Christmas story with my Advent wreath in that room all by myself. And let me tell you, lighting that candle of hope that year was just, we all needed hope that year, and it's a gift we need every year. But when I teach about Advent, every Sunday of the four Sundays, somebody shows us the way to Bethlehem, and then we receive a gift from God that Jesus brings to us in that season as we light the candle. So today, I'm imagining that we're all in a really big story circle up in the large group room as the prophets show us the way to Bethlehem, and we talk about the candle of hope. 
So we're going to start by looking at one of the prophets, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. Um, To give you a little background information on Isaiah, this is a picture from a Bible Project video. The Bible Project does an awesome job at summarizing books of the Bible in a really condensed way. If you ever want to check it out, I highly recommend it. Uh, But here's a picture to help us take a place of where Isaiah is when he's writing these messages. He is giving warnings to God's people because he's writing to them and giving them messages from God as a prophet in the time when the kingdom of Israel has been split into because they've walked away from God's laws. And so he's giving them a warning of judgment that if they continue on the path they're on, that be, there will be people that come in and conquer them. And it's going to lead to destruction and devastation. But he also holds a message of hope. Isaiah truly believes that one day God will fulfill all of his covenant promises that have been there since the beginning, that the king would come from the line of David, and that God's blessing and salvation would extend to everyone on the earth. So Isaiah is holding those two tensions of judgment and warning, but also hope. So we're going to read a few of those messages of hope today from the book of Isaiah. The New Testament writers quote Isaiah more than any other Old Testament book except for Psalms, and I feel like it's just hard to compete with Psalms, so we're going to give it second place. Around 100 verses from 45 of the 66 chapters of Isaiah are quoted either directly or clearly alluded to in the New Testament. So we're gonna, first we're going to read from Isaiah 7, verse 14. And this is what Isaiah says, his message from God. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. And I love that we got to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, this morning. It's one of those words that we only hear this time of year, but it is such a powerful word because that word means that God is with us. God is with us, and a message that Isaiah knew that God's people would need. And then we we we'll turn the page over to Isaiah 9, verse 2. Lucy just read to us, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then jumping down to a very familiar verse in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now keep in mind that Isaiah wrote these prophecies, these visions that he received from God, 700 years before Jesus is born. 700 years during that time, Israel will be conquered by those two, those two empires because they did not heed Isaiah's warnings or any of the warnings from the other prophets as well. And then they'll be forced into exile. And then, on top of all of that, we have 400 years of just silence where there's no recorded prophecy or a word from God during the 400 years. And I think sometimes we forget about those amount of years in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The curriculum we currently use for our elementary kids comes with a timeline, and I love that it includes those 400 years of silence. Because part of Advent is putting ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites as they are waiting for, through all those hundreds of years for this promised light for this child to be brought to them. And when I put myself in their shoes, I'm going to be honest, it's hard to imagine being able to hold on to hope. 
Because that is a very long time through exile and through conquering and then just silence to trust that God's plan is still going to happen, right? It's still happening. And I've been thinking a lot about the word hope recently, not just in preparing for today, but also I read a book while I was on my sabbatical a few months ago. It's called Hope Rising, and it was a recommended reading for a short course I took at Harding School of Theology on spiritual formation of children. And the book looks at the science of hope as it tells story after story of children and adults who have overcome immense life obstacles through the power of hope. What's really neat about this book is it looks at it more than just from a faith perspective, but there's research that they've done in hospitals and schools and other environments about the power of hope to get you through really difficult times. This quote is a really good summary of their research. Hope is not just an idea. Hope is not simply an emotion. It's far more than a feeling. It's not a wish or even an expectation. Hope is about goals, willpower, and pathways. A person with high hope has goals, the motivation to pursue them, and the determination to overcome obstacles to find pathways to achieve them. And I feel like hope is just one of those words that we throw around a lot, and it's more of like, I hope, like I wish. But true hope is so much bigger than that. And an example, yesterday, raise your hand if you ran the St. Jude Marathon. Some people in this room, I saw pictures, yes, way to go. Um, You have to have a lot of hope to put yourself in a marathon, which is why I did not do it, no. Um, Because when you decided months ago that you were going to do the marathon or the half marathon or the 5K or the 10K, you started to make a plan. You created pathways of how you were going to train, the shoes you needed, the running partners you wanted, the time you were going for. So you had these pathways, and you probably had to navigate around some injuries and different setbacks. And then you also have to have the willpower, right? You have to have the determination to wake up early to go run, or you have to have, even when you're at the race, to not give up. So you have to have the willpower and the pathways to really accomplish that goal. And that is truly what hope is all about. So in this book, they even have a questionnaire that they've created to help them measure the levels of hope. So of course I took it because I've always loved quizzes. And I ended up having a fairly low hope score. And it was kind of an aha moment for me. And it was a way for me to kind of put language into how I'd been feeling over the last couple years. And I know in a room with this many people, there are probably others that feel like they are kind of in a season of low hope or, or no hope. And it was a wake-up call to me because I was reading about how hope is just so vital into our, in our lives. It's like the air we breathe, what gets us up every day, what motivates us to do anything is hope for the future. And right now, I'm in this stage of life that is going on longer than I thought it would. I thought by 34, the things that I had hoped for would have come so far, and they haven't. And that affects my hope score. And I'm sure there are others that things are not really working out the way that you had hoped. And so you're in a season of just wondering, and maybe it feels like a season of darkness and low hope. And you're not alone today. There's others that are in that same boat with you. But hope is something we can grow. 
Hope is something that we can work on and we can practice. And that's what gave me hope, <laughs> is to work on my hope after I finished this book. And I started to find hope everywhere. I started hearing it in songs, in books, in podcasts, in Bible verses, in conversations all over the place. I started to make a playlist, and it continues to grow of any song that brings me hope. And then my first Sunday back with the kids in children's worship, there's a song that we sing every single week in children's worship, and I'm not going to sing it right now because I only sing for children, and there's some adults in the room. But the words say, whether it rains or whether it pours, wherever I go, I will trust you, Lord. In the light of day or in the dark of night, I will trust you, Lord, with all my life. For my hope is where you are. And that first Sunday when I was singing it, I just got emotional, and I was trying not to cry in front of the kids, but I was like, I've been singing this song every week for years, but I was not living it. And maybe it's because we're all going around giving each other high fours, which is high fives with four fingers, in case you didn't know. Um, but that lyric just hit me in a different way. And I knew that for me and for the, my ministry and for my relationships, I really needed to grow my hope and remember that my true hope is where God is. The hope that I was putting in relationships or my bank account or my house or these other things were just disappointing me. And so I needed to refocus my hope. And maybe there's others here today that need to do that. So I started digging into scripture because there's lots of verses about hope in the Bible. So I started in the Old Testament and found that there are two main Hebrew words in the Old Testament that are translated as hope, and I'm going to attempt to say them because Jim did it, so I think I can do it as well. The first is yahal, which simply means to wait for, and chava, which has, a, it's related to the word kav, which means like a cord, and so it kind of has this feeling of when you pull a cord, and the tension or expectation is you're going to see what's going to happen. Is it going to break? What's going to happen? So that tension or expectation is carried in it. So an example is from Psalm 39, 7. And now, O oh Lord, what can I chava for? You are my yahal. You are my hope. My hope is where you are. And then I moved into the New Testament, and I'm more familiar with Greek, so the word is elpis in the New Testament. And instead of just meaning to wait for, it carries more of a confidence and a trust to it, because now our hope is connected to a person, and that person is Jesus. And I love in 1 Peter 1.3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. That sounds pretty great. So I've was digging in songs and scripture and coming to find out that this biblical hope that's talked about is different than this worldly hope or this optimism. Optimism is able to just look at any situation and see how the circumstances could just work together for the best. But biblical hope doesn't really focus on the situation or the circumstances. It's not based on what's going on around us. And often in the Bible, People recognize that their situation isn't going to change, but they choose hope anyways. They choose to hope 
Last week, I was teaching the elementary kids about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I was struck. I gave them a high hope score because right before they went into the fiery furnace, they said, yeah, even if God doesn't save us from this fiery furnace, we're still not going to bow down to your idol. And man, I just was struck by that confidence and that trust and expectation that God was going to show up. And even if the circumstances didn't change, they were still choosing to put their hope and their trust in him. So now I want us to move to John 1, where we finally get to see this living hope that for 700 years God's people have been waiting for finally comes on the scene. And of the four Gospels, Matthew and Mark have the more traditional Christmas, Matthew and Luke have the more traditional Christmas stories. Mark just skips over it and starts with Jesus' ministry. John has a more poetic approach that I'd like us to focus on today. So I'm going to read John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light for all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man who was sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world uh, was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. As Josh Nix mentioned last week, John 1 connects us back to Genesis 1-1, starting with the same words, in the beginning. John wants us to know that Jesus, the word, was there even from the beginning. And God used words to create. And the very first thing that he created was light. Out of the darkness came the light. And now into this dark world that has been waiting, the light has come. And some didn't even recognize it. Like, they just were anticipating it, and they're still looking for it. That just blows my mind, but I'm getting sidetracked. Um, but there's this beautiful image of the Trinity, of the Word being with God and was God. And I'm not going to get into all the Trinity today, because Josh Ross gets back from his sabbatical tomorrow, and he can teach us more about the Trinity then. Uh, but my favorite part of this passage is how many times the word light is mentioned. I'm one of those people that I mark in my Bible, and so I highlight all the words light in this passage. The theme of light is carried throughout the Gospel of John, and later in chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, one of the famous I am statements. But here in the beginning of John, Jesus is described as this light. And John the Baptist is a witness to the light. He himself is not the light, but he just came to point people to the light. Our job is to be witnesses to the light as well. 
When we get to verse 5, I can't help but think back to that Isaiah prophecy, right? That the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And the darkness has not overcome the light even after 700 years of waiting. The season of Advent that we're in happens to fall in the darkest month of the year. I think that's kind of nice that we put up so many extra lights because it's a dark month. Can't go on my walks after I get home from work because it's too dark outside. It's just dark, and for some people, it's more than just a physical darkness, but there's an emotional darkness that this season carries because of losses or sorrows that just weigh on us more heavily this time of year. So I love that we gather together in this season of darkness, and we light one candle at a time. I'm sure there's part of us that would just like to light them all and skip to Christmas, but we just light one, and today it's just a small flicker of hope. One small flicker of hope. I love to read this Advent devotional each year called Shadow and Light by Tish Oxenrider. And she talks about this darkness. I'm going to read this quote to you. God redeems darkness. He wants to infiltrate the shadows the hardest life has to offer and bring light beyond our comprehension. We begin Advent aware of the shadows in our world, both big and small, yet over the weeks we slowly move toward the light of the world. There will be a day where we light all the candles, but right now we are so aware of the sin and darkness around us. Every year there's something going on in our world that it just weighs heavy, and right now it's all the things going on in Israel for me. But there's always going to be something that we need to be reminded of the hope and the light that is coming. And that light has come to be with us even in 2023. I love verse 14, my favorite verse to reflect on this time of year, that the word became flesh. This thing with God has now taken on a human body and has come to dwell with us. And the verb here for dwell is linked to the verb in the Old Testament talking about Yahweh coming to dwell in the wilderness in the tabernacle with his people. So it's like God has now pitched a tent um, is the verb that we sometimes translate it as. So here Jesus is coming to move into the neighborhood. He's pitching his tent among us. And over the last couple of weeks we've been talking about the God who creates the God who delivers, the God of steadfast love, that same God who has done all those amazing things decides to become a human being, just like one of us, taking on flesh and leading us back to him. It's just a beautiful thing. So as we look back to that past and the God who draws near to us as a child, we also need to look forward to the future, the advent of the future, the coming of Christ in glory in the last days. John carries the same theme of light into Revelation when he has this image of what heaven will be like. And he says in Revelation 22, 5, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. Some translations say that God will shine. God will be our light. So we look forward to this day where there will be no more darkness. There'll be no more tears. I'm really excited about that one. There'll be no more pain. All of the things that are bringing us down in this, in this world, we have a future to look forward to. And that's what gives us hope in the present. And your present might feel very dark right now. And it might be hard to feel like God is drawing near to you in the present. But he is. <laughs> 
I was just recently reading Prayers in the Night by Tish Harrison Warren, a different Tish than the last one. Um, But this quote really, I just had to share it. It says, but our hope in suffering is not merely a gaze on the biography of an ancient man frozen in the pages of the Bible. The story of the gospel is not a mere mantra or a relic of history. It's alive and ongoing. The work of Jesus continues even now in our everyday lives. So in hardship, we don't look at Jesus solely as one who's been there before, once upon a time in a distant past. We find he is here with us in the present tense. I love that. Back in 2022, I did get to go to Israel, and one of the most powerful experiences that I'll carry with me is going down into the sacred pit where they believe that Jesus was taken after he was arrested, before he was put on trial. And they've added a lot of lights in there, but you can just imagine how dark and cold it would be. And I kind of found a dark corner by myself before we went all the way down as a group. And um, as Casey was reading a lament psalm to us, I was just overcome with emotion because I just was, felt so connected to this God who draws near to us. I knew this was going to happen, so I'm glad I made it this far. He's been in the darkest, loneliest place. Our God who draws near to us knows every sorrow, every pain. And I'm so thankful, and that gives me hope. Because I know that he's been there and he's there with me in that dark place. So maybe all these things that I've said about hope today come easy to you. You're just a hopeful person. And I'm so happy for you about that. (laughs) Um, Or maybe you're like me and you're working on it. Um, A few weeks ago, I got to do chapel at Harding Academy. And I just really wanted to share with them a message of hope too. So I read a book called A Flicker of Hope, and I wanted to show the pictures to you because sometimes visuals help me. And um, it, there's this little candle who has this dark cloud and is just overwhelmed by all the things of life. And it finds a candle that has a great flame, and that candle just gives it a little boost of hope. And so you might feel like the little candle today, or you might feel like the big candle um, I've, I've had seasons of both, and I'm sure you have too. But that's what's so beautiful when I look out in this room, is I see so many candles of hope that have given me boosts over the years. And um, even children, <laughs> a lot of the kids in this church have been the boosts of hope that I need too. So it doesn't matter what age you are, <laughs> you can share hope, and you can be a hope builder, because we need a lot more hope in this world. So here in a minute, we're going to go to the tables, um, and at the tables, there are stones that say the word hope on them, and at the end of the class I took, Dr. Holly Allen gave us a really similar stone, and she said a blessing over us from Romans fifteen thirteen, and um, I ha- have a slide of it up here too, because um, it's going to be the memory verse for the elementary kids this month, and um, What she told us is she said, you can either hold on to this stone if you need to be reminded of hope in your day-to-day life over the next however long. But at some point, 
give that stone to somebody and share with them Romans 15:13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when you go to take communion, if you'd like to take a hope rock and either keep it for a little while or give it straight away to somebody and share with them the message of hope. And I'm going to read the very end of Hope Rising to you um, because I think there'll be things that you relate to or maybe God will put on your heart. Somebody who needs hope um, because they're in a similar situation as what's described. Um, and then we'll, we'll close out. When we feel trapped in the pain of today, hope reminds us that we need not be there forever. When we feel stuck in looking back, hope calls us to look forward. When we've given everything to others, hope helps us replenish our heart, mind, and body. When we are demoralized, hope can point us toward friends to lift our spirits. When we lose our way, hope can give us back a roadmap for our lives. When we fear the worst, hope reminds us that God is in control. When we're hurting from the actions of others, hope is a pathway to resilience. When we must accept the consequences of our mistakes, hope lifts us out of our shame. When our heart is broken, hope offers us the courage to look forward to healing. When the diagnosis is grim, hope calls us to the battle for survival. When we're forced to sit back and wait on a dream, Hope gives us the patience to trust. When we feel bound in the darkness of despair, hope reminds us that there's a way to the light. When a dream does not come true, hope lights the fire to dream again. When we feel rejected and abandoned, hope reminds us that we can still love and be loved. When we feel gripped by rage, hope is not far away. When we must say goodbye to those we love, hope reminds us the best is yet to come. Hope is measurable, Hope is malleable. Hope can rise. Spread the word. So now as we come to the table and we get to take a stone and we also get to take the bread and the cup, both physical reminders of the hope that we have. Our hope is not stuck in the past. Our hope is not dead. Our hope is not gone. Our hope is alive. Our hope has a name and its name is Jesus. And we're going to take the bread and we're going to take the cup because of what he's done for us and get that boost of hope that we so desperately need to share with the world. So here in a moment, um, during communion, there'll be people you can go and pray with. I believe Kim and Shelley will be around and then Tommy will be up here if there's anything you'd like to share with the church and Stoney as well and I'll be up here. But please, if you need somebody to pray with to give you that boost of hope, please take advantage of that as well. So... Let's pray. God, we just love you so much. We thank you for sending your son Jesus into the darkness, into a world that had probably lost a lot of their hope. And um, we thank you for all that he did for, for us. Um, and we might feel like we're living in darkness now too, but we know there's a way and the pathway and the willpower that we have comes from you. Nothing that we can change or control but through you and your Holy Spirit. And so as we take the bread and the cup today, I pray that we're, we'll just be reminded that that hope lives inside of us because of what your son did on the cross. And we have this living hope 
this hope of glory that we can share with the world. I pray we'll do that in all things in remembrance of you because you are the only one who is worthy of our hope and our trust and our confidence. In Jesus' name, amen.